what a joy it's been the past couple of months. We've had the opportunity to study the life of David and have looked uh, to see what we can learn from, from David. We've watched David as he's grown from being just a boy to then being a man. We've watched David as he went from a shepherd in the field to being the king over Israel. We've watched as, as, as David, we've watched him cross the high peaks of success. And we've also seen David dive into the valleys of defeat. We have seen David glory in righteousness. We've also seen uh, the glory, that devastating glory tarnished by devastating sin in his life. We have watched David as he enjoyed the blessings of his God. And we have watched David as he endured the consequences of his sins. I tell you, one of the things as to why I love David's story. One of the reasons why I'm so connected to David's story. Why I look at his story and there's so much, much for me to gain from it. Is because his story has so many parallels to my own experience. There's so many similarities to David and mine. David's story is real. It shows the ups and downs of his life. Much like most of us have in our lives. I mean, we'd all would love to say we're going to have those lives where everything is perfect. And we're, we're riding on the coattails and everything's great. But the reality of it is life is, has a lot of those ups and downs. Some weeks are good. You just had Thanksgiving. That's a good week. And some weeks are bad because this week you've got to look at the scale. And then you realize there's a, an issue here. There's an up and down that flows within life. Chances are, most of us can identify with David's story at some capacity. So today we're going to finish our study on the life of David the man that we know that God calls a man after God's own heart. Twice in God's word, David is identified as a man after God's own heart. And once again, as we've talked through this entire series, David is going to be the example. He's going to point us, you and I, to what it takes for you and I to become men and women after God's own heart. So today, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of 1 Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. Uh, we'll have someone in the back uh, come and bring one to you. First Chronicles 28, 29. David is now 70 years old. He has reigned as king for 40 years at this point. He's at the end of his life. He's getting ready to pass on the torch to his, the next generation. But before David does that, before he passes on the torch, he has some final words of wisdom for the leaders who he has gathered around him. So in fact, I've titled this message, uh, Words of Wisdom from a Man After God's Own Heart, from David. So as you prepare to look at 1 Chronicles 20, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. God, just thank you for the opportunity to be gathered with your people today. God, we know the people, we know the church is not just a building, it's the people. So God, we're thankful to be gathered with your people today. And God, I pray as we open up your word, I pray as we're looking at this final uh, lesson of the life of David, God, I pray that you would cement these truths inside of our hearts. 
God, I pray that as David pours out his heart to those leaders long ago, that God, this will apply to us as well. And that we will see the wisdom of God applies to us. God, I pray that you would use these things to shape us and to mold us into men and women after your own heart. That God, you would use us where we are. That you would use us for your kingdom. God, I pray that you would give us understanding and that you'd help us to to hear your word to us today. God, we love you and we praise you and we ask this in your name. Amen. So these chapters, David, as I said, he's gathered all the leaders around him and he's going to have this opportunity to give them some parting shots. Some, some things that he's looking at his life and saying, these are the things I've learned. These are the things that I find to be extremely important. If you are going to be a, man, be a man and woman after God's own heart, these are things you need to understand. The first thing that David is going to tell the leaders, he's going to teach them to recognize the places where God has placed you. It says in verse 2, this is what it says. Then King David rose to his feet and he said, hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. You begin to think, well, what is this, what is this about? David is saying this. He's saying, I had in my heart, I had a dream. I had a plan. I had a desire to do something special for God. I wanted to, to build this temple for God, a place where God's presence could, presence could rest. And this would be God's footstool on the earth. And you can almost feel the weight of this long-lasting dream from David. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. And this was his deepest longing. This was the legacy that David wanted to leave which was to build a temple for God. And that was David's dream. But God had something different in store for him. It says in verse 3, But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. God looked at David's dream and said, David, no. David, this isn't going to happen. David's son Solomon is going to be the one who ends up building the temple. And so this was David's greatest unfulfilled desire. He had one deep wish that he wanted to leave as his legacy to build this temple. And God said, no, you're a man of war. You've you've had a lot of bloodshed. I'm going to have your son Solomon, a man of peace. I want him to build the temple for me. You can imagine the disappointment from David. This was his deepest longing. This was what he wanted his legacy to be about. Evidently, this was such a disappointment to David that even now, as he's preparing to end his life, as his life is coming to an end, it's still an incredible disappointment. It's still something he thinks about. But here's the thing. David didn't allow God's no to derail him. David did not look back at what God did not allow him to do with anger. Instead, David looked back on what God had allowed him to do. He tells us 
He tells us a number of different things. He tells us that, that God had chosen David, the youngest of an unknown family, to be the king over Israel. He says in verse 4, Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all of my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as the leader, and of the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over Israel. He's saying, I had it in my heart to build this temple, and that's what I wanted to do. And when God said no, I can look back and say, you know what, but this is what God has placed me in. David rejoices next that God has chosen his son Solomon to be the next king. And he rejoices that God has chosen Solomon to build a temple. He says in verse 5, And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, It is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. He's saying, I had in my heart. I wanted to build this temple. But God had something different in store. And, and, and he placed me as king. And now he's placed my son Solomon to be the next king. And he's placed my son Solomon to build the temple. God has greatly blessed him. And he's promised a kingdom that will last forever. It says in verse 7, I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. See, what David is doing here is instead of focusing on, on, on what God had not done in his life, instead of focusing on where God said, no, this is not for you, David reflected back on what God had allowed him to do in his life. In doing so, David is displaying a, an attitude that we should all have, especially as we near the end of our life. So let me ask you this. What is your, your, what is your dream? What is your desire? When it's just you alone before God, just you and him, and you're absolutely honest before God, what is that one thing that you dream about doing for God? Well, the one thing that deep down you say, God, I wish this could just be what happens. Maybe, maybe some of you, you dream for more out of your marriage. You dream to have one of those marriages that people look up to and say, I want to be like this. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to uh, officiate uh, John Holland and Jennifer Eel's wedding. And it was a beautiful ceremony. And uh, they both said, I do. Praise God for that. And, um, and while we're in the reception, this, this older man comes up to me. And he says, hey, you know, thank you so much for doing the wedding. He said, my wife and I, we've been married for 53 years. I said, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Maybe you want to have one of those marriages that you've been married for 50 years and all the young people look up to you and say, man, that's what I want. A marriage that lasts a lifetime. Maybe, maybe you dream and picture your kids accomplishing certain things. You want certain things for your kids. You want them to love the Lord. You want them to serve him. And maybe this is your dream and you entertain it before God. God, if you would just do something in the life of my kids. Perhaps, perhaps you dream about financial security. God, if you would just provide where I wouldn't have to stress and I won't have to worry. 
Maybe, maybe you're one of those people that God has blessed. And maybe your dream is, God, I wish I had the ability to, to, to go opposite, you know, and to live on 10% and then God to give back 90% of my wealth. Maybe, maybe your secret dream is to sing on the worship team. I admit that's been one of mine. In fact, I remember in, in, in church one day, I was he's shaking his head. He's heard me sing. No, that's not going to happen. I remember in church one day, the choir leader, her son was sitting next to me. And he goes, hey, hey, Kevin, my mom, who's the choir leader, she wants you to sing a solo. And I'm like, really? That's awesome. He goes, yeah, sing solo that nobody hears you. So that's not my gift. But maybe, maybe that's your dream. Man, God, I would love to be on stage to sing and praise and worship you. Maybe your dream is to connect with people. Maybe your dream is just to do something meaningful with your life. I believe it's etched in every one of our hearts to have some sort of dream, your, your secret dream that's just between you and God. You know, I always dreamed that I would grow up and be some sort of awesome sports coach. You know, I, I was... I was a young man when I grew up, my, and my dad died. Of course I was a young man when I grew up. When I was a young man, my dad died. And I remember some of those sports coaches that had such an impact on me. And I said, I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to inspire young people to succeed on the field and to succeed in life. And, and I have one of those high schools where we have all these trophies because we've done so well. Well, the older I get, the more I realize that dream may never come to fruition. In fact, the last time I coached, I coached a five-year-old soccer team and we finished fourth out of sixth places in the league. So, you know, I'm realizing that dream may not come to fruition. The question is, what do we do with our dreams when they don't happen? What do we do with those longings of our heart? And we have these things and we come to God and God says, no. Or God says, not now. Sure, we can sit around and complain about what we did not get in our lives. We can blame God for the things that we think we missed out on. We can become disappointed and disillusioned. And we become bitter at God because we didn't see the fulfillment of our dreams that we felt should happen in our lives. Or... When God says no, or when God says not now, we could do what David did. We can look back with joy and gratitude for the things that God has brought into our lives, for the places that God has put us. I guess it comes down to who do you believe has the best plan for your life? It comes down to who is really God in our lives? Is it us or is it really God? Because if we are the masters of our own destiny, if we're our own gods, then you can't blame God for an unfulfilled dream. You can only blame yourself. You're the one that didn't make it happen. It's your fault. But listen, if God is the Lord of your life, then we have to acknowledge his hand, and every part of our life. And we have to acknowledge that God has brought into your life the things that were best for you. 
So let me just say this very plainly. You may be sitting in your life wondering, God, how come I can't do this thing that's on my heart, God? How come I can't have this dream, God? I have this. It is a good thing. This wasn't maybe what you planned or you envisioned. You still have that dream and you still hope someday, God, this is what I want to do. But listen, if God has brought you where you are, God has brought you to Yakima. God has placed you in your workplace, in your family. God has placed you at Restoration Church. Maybe God's trying to say this to you. Maybe God is trying to say, I have something different for you. This is the place that I've called you. This is the place I have put you right now. This is the place I want to use you. And the question is, will you accept God's will? Would you accept what God is trying to do in your life? Or will you continue holding on to that dream and saying, God, I know what's best for me. I'm not saying that dream is not going to happen. But I would say God has placed you right now in the places you are. God wants to use you in those places. Will you allow him? Will you submit to his will and say, God, I'm yours. Wherever you'll use me, I'm yours. David, even though he had his own dreams, he recognized that God had different plans for his life. Dare I even say God had better plans for David's life. And David, at the end of his life, he's saying, I'm embracing that. I had longed to build the temple, but I look back and see how God has used me in this place as king over Israel. So after confessing this to the crowd, David turns his attention to his son Solomon. And he has a very specific instruction for Solomon. These, as you read these, these are going to be very measured words as if David has, has learned these words from his own experience. And his instruction is very simple. His instruction is he's going to say, David, he's going to say, Solomon, you have to focus completely, 100%, totally, wholeheartedly, focus on God. Focus completely on God and nothing else. He says in in verse 9, he says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan, every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. David's saying, Solomon, you have to, you have to fully focus 100% on God. And he's going to break this down a little bit further. How do you focus on God? First thing that David says is you have to know the God of your father. This almost seems a little too obvious. Like, like, of course you have to know God. I mean, that seems so basic. But David, he could look back over the course of his life. He could look back and, and, and he was aware of the tyranny of the urgent. He was aware of the sin of pride, of the danger that comes when you take the easy street. And David knew the temptations that Solomon would have as he sat on the throne. So David said this, above everything else, David, Solomon, above everything else, Solomon, I want you to know God. Nothing else matters unless you know God. Second thing that David wants his son to do 
to focus on God is to serve God. He says, serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. He's saying, Solomon, don't, don't force God. Don't, don't make God force you to worship him. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it willingly. David could say these things because that's the kind of heart that David had himself. David is called in the scriptures as a sweet psalmist of Israel, writing and singing so many of the great praise and, and, and worship songs in, 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 the, in, in, the, in the Psalms. So you've got to imagine, you've got to imagine Solomon knew this about his father. He knew his father's desire to serve the Lord. He read the Psalms that his father wrote. He must have seen his father's intense passion to serve God. It makes me think of myself as a parent. Parents, what, are your, what is your spiritual legacy? Will your children grow up knowing that you served God willingly with a whole heart? Are you modeling this to the life of your kids? Because there's no better way to teach there's no better teaching tool in the life of a child than to model a parent's fully surrendered heart to God. It makes me convicted of how many times I say, oh man, we got to go to church again today. Oh man, I got to go serve in the nursery again today. I got to do this. And I think, what example am I showing to my kids? Because we're to serve God wholeheartedly and willingly. Don't, parents, don't, don't miss out on how much impact you have on your kids when you serve God willingly and wholeheartedly. David, David wasn't perfect in his service to God. In fact, he adds the statement in verse 9. He says, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Absolutely. Probably with that in mind, David tells Solomon one more thing. One more thing about, about seeking God and focusing on God. He says, seek the God of your father. Don't stop pursuing God, Solomon. Don't stop seeking after him. Don't get lazy. Don't get prideful. Don't think you're good enough. Don't think that you have achieved all you can. Already there, seek God continuously. Because when you seek him, he'll be found. What a simple lesson that, that, that David is trying to teach to Solomon. Live with a single focus on God. You know, I have always thought I was a good driver. Growing up, I always thought, you know, especially as I learned how to drive, my wife has a different opinion of that. She's even chuckling right now. I've always thought I'm a good driver, and I do think I'm a good driver. In fact, but this last week, I kind of learned something. Uh, this last Wednesday, I had the chance to drive over to Seattle. My mom's at Virginia Mason uh, Hospital. She's dealing with cancer. And uh, many of you, thank you for praying for her, uh, praying for our family. So Wednesday, I had the chance to go over and visit with, with her. So I'm driving over there, and, and I, I've got my, my Siri on, you know, my phone, the maps thing, so it's telling me what to do. And I, I, I'm driving, and it's telling me what to do, and I'm not quite understanding. And, and this is where I, I just got over the pass. I'm just getting in the Kirkland area, and there starts to be traffic. 
And I'm kind of like, which lane am I supposed to be in? There's like six lanes. You got to figure out which one you're supposed to be in. And I'm trying to follow Siri. And I'm realizing how difficult it is for me to focus on these two things. I'm trying to focus on the road in front of me. And then I've got this phone telling me this is what you need to do. You need to go this way and that way. And so I'm looking. I'm trying to pay attention to the, the phone says, take this exit. So I take this exit. And I don't know where I'm at. I'm in some community college parking lot. And I don't even know how to get out. I'm like, this is a bus lane. I'm not even supposed to be here. And I don't know where I'm going. And this is what happens when you try and have a uh, focus on many different things. You can't figure out what is good and what is right. David, he knew the value of having a complete focus on God. In fact, when you look at David's life, His greatest successes came when David was fully focused on God. And when we think about the very first story we read about David, David's focus was on God and giants named Goliath come tumbling down when his focus is on God. When seeking after God, David could endure years of living on the run from the rage of King Saul. With a heart to serve God, The shepherd boy from an unknown family in the podunk town of Bethlehem becomes king over Israel. David's greatest successes came when he focused on God. But David also knew the opposite. When you take your eyes off of God, when you focus on anything else, that is when you will find trouble. Undoubtedly, David's probably writing this And he probably remembers that dark night when he decided to stay home from battle and he jumped into sin with Bathsheba and had the horrible consequences that resulted. You can picture David looking back over his own life, looking about his experiences, saying, Solomon, Solomon, focus on God. Focus, focus on God and God alone. Yes, you'll be a king, but don't be known as being a good king. Be known as a godly king. Yes, you can say, this is what I am. I'm a parent. But don't be known as being a good parent. Be known as being a godly parent. Don't be known as being a good employee. Be known as being a godly employee. Don't be known as being a good friend. Be known as being a godly friend. This is what it means to have a complete focus on God. And David is saying this to his son. Focus on God. Know him. Serve him. Don't ever stop seeking him. Don't get lazy. Don't get prideful. Because when you do, that's when trouble comes. The next couple of verses, verses 10 through 19. David challenges Solomon to get after the task of of building the temple. And not just to build the temple, but to do it right. He shares with his son the plan for the construction of the temple. David's got the plans all laid out. He probably had Ron drop the blueprints so everybody could see. This is the way I want it to look. This was David's dream. He wanted it to be built and he wanted it to be built right. So he gave Solomon every tool necessary to build the temple the way it should have been built. And with these plans laid out, David turns again to encourage his son to focus on God. He, he knows the pressure and the doubts that come with the, t- with the title of king. So he says in verse 20, Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. 
He will not leave you or forsake you until the work for the until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. It's such a simple reminder for Solomon. No matter what your future holds, you can always count on God's presence, on his power, and on his promises to help you make it through. Keep your focus on God, and he will carry you through. Makes me think, again, I look at myself as a parent. And we think about what kind of insecurities we pass on to our kids. We think about what kind of things didn't happen in our life. We think, you know, I have this, this, this heartbreak. I wanted, to build this for God. I wanted to build this temple for God. And so I'm going to, you know, be dejected because God didn't do it. David is saying, you know what, son? I wasn't able to do this. But listen, God is with you. All things are possible with God. What kind, of, what kind of dreams do we put in the hearts and the lives of our kids when we teach them that all things are possible when God's on your side? At the start of chapter 29, David challenges the people to, to give and donate towards the building of the temple so that Solomon has all the resources he needs to build the temple. David even sets the, sets the example by, by donating a large portion of his own personal wealth to the cause. He donates, we're talking several millions of dollars that David donates himself to the building of the temple. And after he, he says, hey, let's do this, let's collect this offering so we have all these resources to build the temple, David's going to do one more thing. And David is going to uh, model the importance of prayer. He's going to teach us, hey, a man or woman after God's own heart, they remember the importance of prayer. David's going to fall on his knees and he's going to utter this beautiful prayer. And he's going to first with, with, with praise and thankfulness for God's goodness. See, we often talk at church about, about the necessity of having praise and worship. But the question is, what is, what is praise? What do we mean when we say we want to praise God? What does that actually mean? Praise comes from the Latin word uh, that means value or price. So when we say we want to praise God, it means that we proclaim his merit and his worth. Let me tell you why praise is so important. Praise is so important for us as humans because when we praise God, it, it, remo it removes our humanity from the picture. And it forces us, it forces us to focus on the exaltation of God. Instead of, instead of us looking horizontally and looking at all of our needs and looking at all of our, our wants and looking at everything going on with us, when we praise God, it turns our attention vertically. And it forces us to look up and to see God and to acknowledge who he is and acknowledge what he's done. So just listen. Just listen to David's words of praise. Chapter 29, starting in verse 12. He says, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise 
your glorious name. David shows us the, the importance of, of, of prayer through praise. But he also is going to do it through thanksgiving. As David thinks about the amazing grace that God has extended to David and to Israel, he turns his praise into thanksgiving, showing that he has the attitude of gratitude that we talked about last week. And listen to his prayer of, of thanksgiving, verse 14. David says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given to you. For we are strangers before you, sojourners, as all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for your building, your house, for your holy name, comes from your hand, and all is on your own. See, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that David can have such an attitude of gratitude for God. David, in his life, has been surrounded by limitless riches. Yet those things never captured his heart. David fought many battles within his life, but greed was never one of the, one of the battles that he ever faced. He constantly recognized God's blessing in his life. He constantly recognized that God's provision is all that he had, and God provides all that we have. And finally, as he's modeling the importance of prayer, he's going to intercede. He's going to pray in intercession and supplication for the people of Israel, the people that he's led for over 40 years. He says in verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyless, joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such promises and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to, my Solomon, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. Folks, that's what it looks like to be a man and a woman after God's own heart. We recognize it's a place that God's placed us. And we say, God, I'm available for your use wherever you have me. I'm yours. He says, a man or woman after God's own heart, they focus completely on God. 100% on God. God, I'm yours, and I'm going to keep my attention on you. And thirdly, a man or woman after God's own heart is sure to commune with God through prayer. And so as we look at the end of this David series, as we come to the end of his life, the question is, what is David's legacy? What do we walk away from the series on the life of David? David had a rich and long legacy. We know that David unified the nation. We know that David gave people peace in their land. And he extended the borders of the kingdom of Israel even bigger. We know that, David, we know that God chose David to establish the dynasty that eventually would bring Jesus into the world as our Savior. We know that, 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 that David provided much of the wealth that was used to build the temple. And David even provided the king, Solomon, who was going to construct the temple. We know that David purchased the land and the site that the temple would be built on. 
We know that God gave David the plans for the temple, and, and David recruited the workers to build it. We know part of David's legacy is that he wrote the songs for the Levites to sing as they worshiped God. And he also provided the, the musical instruments that they would use as they worshiped God. And before David died, he encouraged Solomon and he challenged the leaders and he gave them a new king to a united people. A king that was enthusiastic of building the house of God. So David's life, we see a number of different things. We see both what to do, things that we should practice in our lives, and things that we should avoid. Verse 26 of chapter 29 says, Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age full of days, riches, and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. I think, what are our takeaways? What do we walk away from saying, David, what can I learn from you? Here's what we learn. We learn hope in spite of humanity. David's life teaches us. Despite the humanity around us, there's always hope. Because we have a God who is always there. We have a God who never goes to sleep. We have a God who is always available to us, who will never leave us nor forsake us. So there is hope in our humanity. David's life teaches us that we learn courage, even in the midst of our own fear. David had a lot of things that he could have feared in life. He could have feared Goliath. But there was courage because he knew God was on his side. He could have feared King Saul and the whole armies of Israel coming after to seek his life. But he took courage because he knew God was on his side. And he kept his focus on God. You and I should learn to have that kind of courage because we have a God who is always with us, will never leave us. We learn from David's life the encouragement and praise and the songs that grew out of his hours of despair. We think about us and we think about those times that we are going through the difficulty. Those times that things are hard and we don't know how we're going to get through. And those are the times that our worship and our praise should be the greatest. Just as David's were. Through the life of David, we learn forgiveness in the dark moments of our sin. No matter how grievous our sin might be, God's grace is available to you today. His forgiveness is available to you today. Covers a multitude of transgressions. There's nothing that God's grace won't forgive you for. And ultimately we learn the value of serving the purpose of God in our own generation. Even though we might have other dreams and things, we know that God will use us right where we are. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity just to look at the life of David. God, just to see all the things that that we've learned from him. God, all the things that you've taught us of having hope in spite of our humanity, of having courage in the midst of our own fear, of being able to, to praise and worship you even in our hours of despair. God, that we can experience your forgiveness and grace despite our sin.
And God, today, is very simply of what it takes for us to be a man and woman after God's own heart. God, I pray that you would help us to just embrace where we are. That we would say, God, this is where you have me, and God, I'm yours. God, would you use me? God, would you do something with me right here, right now? God, I might have these dreams to do something big and great and something different, but God, this is where you have me now. God, I'm going to be faithful to you now. God, would you use me? God, I pray that you help us to embrace the idea of being a man and woman after God's own heart, that we would focus completely on you, that we would learn this lesson, that when David's eyes were on you, God, you did some tremendous things in his life. And God, when our eyes are on you, that you would do tremendous things in our lives as well. That, that you would use us in mighty ways. And God, help us to understand that when we take our eyes off of you, that leads to a dangerous path. Leads to a path that, God, I don't think any of us want to be down. And God, I pray it should help us to, to be people of prayer. That would desire that intimate relationship with you. That would talk with you and, 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 and commune with you. God, I pray that you would use this series just to, to turn us into men and women after your own heart. That as we, as we look towards all that you've done to us, all that you've done for us, that God, we would be yours. That we'd be pliable. That we'd be usable. But God, you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives. But God, you would do a work in our community, in our families. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the grace that allows us to come into a relationship with you. The fact that you sent your son Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. So we can have that relationship with you. So we can be forgiven. So we can be known as a man and woman after God's own heart. God, I thank you for the life of David that shows we don't have to be perfect. But we have to submit. God, I pray that as we have this opportunity now to respond to your word in praise and worship, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with that praise of acknowledging your worth and your merit. God, you are worthy of all of our glory and honor. God, I pray for those that are here today that just need to use this time to spend in prayer. Listen, you're welcome to sit in your seat and cry out to God. You're welcome just to say, God, I need you right now. God, I don't understand what's going on, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm pouring my heart out to you. You're welcome to sit in your seat and just cry out to God during these times, during this response time of worship. Or I invite you to stand on your feet and just praise, close your eyes and sing these songs of adoration to God and in gratitude and praise for all that he's done for us. However you need to respond, I invite you now to do that. God, we love you and praise you and pray for your spirit to continue to be be with us as we respond to your word now. In your holy and precious name, amen.